have so far. So today, we're going to continue in our series in Habits of Grace. And so we've talked about reading the Bible for breadth. We've talked about reading the Bible for depth. We've talked about the application of God's Word. And today, we're going to talk about meditating upon God's Word. So we're going to talk about meditation. But I promise you, no crystals or New Age music. Um, I think the idea of meditation has been hijacked by uh, Eastern philosophy and kind of dumped into this country in the last 50 years. And I hope to show you that it's a very biblical concept um, that should never have been ripped out of our hands and given to um, people who chant. Not that that's all bad. Gregorian chants are great, right? I was going to have that playing as you walked in just to freak everyone out, but I didn't think you'd be ready for that. You might run. So anyway, let's pray. We'll jump into God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time that we have together um, in your house, and I pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears to the power of your word, that we should spend some long, slow time um, pondering and chewing upon all that you've given us in this love letter. Help that to be a motivation for us so that we would continue um, in our growth personally and as a group, that we would always be about your word and what it says to us. We love you. Amen. So when you read in the scriptures, it's all over the place, the idea of meditating upon the word, Um, especially in the Old Testament. We see several instances where we're called to meditate upon the word. And you see these, uh, like in Genesis, we have Isaac in Genesis 24, 63, went out to meditate in the field toward evening. Um, He was in a place of great turmoil, um, a place of trying to figure some stuff out as he was leading, and he goes out into the field to meditate upon the word. We see in Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And so it's always a meditation upon the word, a meditation upon what God has said to us. In the Psalms, in number 119, a celebration of God's word is the psalmist says he meditates on your precepts, on your statutes, on your wondrous works. He claims that testimonies are his meditation and exclaims, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day long. So we see a consistent call to meditate in the scriptures. But then we get a little confused, don't we? What is meditation? If you ask someone, do you meditate? You might go, oh no, I don't do that weird stuff. I don't even own a pair of yoga pants. I don't do that, right? Or you'll say, well, what do you, what, I, don't, I don't have time to go spend a week at a, at a retreat or a week at a convent or a monastery. And that, you can only meditate if you have on a robe and you have, you're silent for a week. Well, I, don't, I don't do that. That's not what meditation is, and we've let that kind of cloud us from a very powerful biblical principle um, that I think sometimes we would be better served if we tapped into it. So a good definition of meditation um, we see in Psalm 1 that we looked at just a few weeks ago, where we have um, a blessed man meditates on the law day and night, right? So if the man is blessed, and we went through this in in a kind of systematic way, that as you're walking in sin, you then stand in sin, and then you become a sinner who scoffs at the righteous. And so a blessed man, how to avoid this kind of this slippery slope of sliding into sin, like how you avoid that is to delight on the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. But how do we do that? Like if I, if I can't be a blessed man then, I, I have responsibilities. I have a job. Um, now my, my job is the Bible, but it's, I don't always just sit and read the Bible all day. I have, I'm a husband, a father, I have responsibilities, I try to be a good friend. Like you have, there's other responsibilities, so I can't just sit in a, a pose and meditate all day. 
So how does this guy meditate? How does David, writing in Psalm 1, talk about meditating on the law day and night? Well, it has to be something that's not just reading the Bible. It has to be something that you think about, you dwell on, you contemplate. And so what we see is that meditation looks a lot like this, doesn't it? has to be that way, right? Of course not. We get confused by the ideas of modern versions of meditation we see everywhere. That it's got to be a certain posture, a certain pose. Your legs have to be crossed. You have to have one foot facing upward and the other one's overlacing. You have to have your hands in a certain way. Perfect posture, sitting up straight. We have to be this certain way. That gets us pretty confused. In Hindu culture, a lot of times meditation and yoga is to align the chakra and all these things that are false, from a false god. And so we have all of these ideas of things of positions and placements and and that's not what we're talking about in the Bible. I'm not saying that yoga is bad. We have uh, Darwin and Teresa have a friend who does essentially gospel-centered yoga in India as an outreach event to people in India. It's amazing. There's nothing wrong with going to yoga. There's nothing wrong with having some stretching and stuff. There are some dangers when you're trying to align something outside of the gospel. If you're trying to tap into the universal existence of my heart. Well, that's getting kind of weird, right? What does the Bible tell us to do? It tells us to be less of ourselves and think more of our neighbor. So how are you supposed to think more of your neighbor than yourself if you're always thinking about yourself? We can't be that way. Some of the positions I do have issue with or I'm concerned with. Because sometimes when you're doing things, like if you know that in Hindu culture when you align the fingers, you're trying to tap into the power source of the sun. At least that's my research. I could be way off. But there's a Christian group that does um, gospel-centered yoga, and so they avoid all of some of the hand gestures and stuff when they do the meditation parts of in the class. But they just say, just put your hands on your knees. It's all about aligning yourself for proper posture, but you do certain things are really aligning towards practices of trying to, and to be in tune with a, a false god, with one of, the, one of the three of the Hindu pantheon, or in the thousands of Hindu gods. So there can be some concern. So you'll see, if you Google Christians in yoga, you'll get all kinds of websites going, don't do that, shouldn't do that. The, I don't really think that's a problem. I think the problem is when you're focusing on self so much in your meditation, that's when you're in danger. Because we see throughout this book, you're never going to see any, any part where Jesus says, or you see any part of the scriptures from beginning to end, that you're a great person. And if you would just focus on yourself enough, you'll be a better person tomorrow than you were today. We consistently see that we're born into iniquity. That's what David calls himself. And we see that we only become the righteousness of God when Christ dwells in us. So it can't be meditation as a church, as a Christian, isn't about emptying yourself and flooding your mind with just thoughts of your breath. It's about focusing on the word of God and letting that inform your prayers. So what we would say is that, uh, another diagram, is that meditation bridges the gap between hearing from God and speaking to him. Meditation is the bridge between Bible study and prayer. Sometimes we feel inadequate in our Bible study life, but we feel we're pretty good in our prayer life. Sometimes we feel inadequate in our prayer life, but we do our devotions every morning. We read those. Meditation is the gap that puts all of this together. It bridges the gap. It's those times when you take some long, slow, contemplative looks 
at the very word of God, and that informs your prayer life. That's the point of meditation. So Don Whitney defines meditation this way. Deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purposes of understanding application in prayer. That meditation helps us to love God's word in deeper ways. The Puritans, which I don't know if you realize they did more than just Thanksgiving. Nobody? Okay. The Puritans, in William Bridges' book, The Work and Way of Meditation, says meditation begins with reading or hearing, go on with meditation, end in prayer. In Thomas Martin's complete works, the word feedeth meditation and meditation feedeth prayer. Meditation must follow hearing and precede prayer. What we take in by the word, we digest by meditation and let, our, let out by prayer. And uh, William Bates on divine mediation. Sorry, meditation. I don't want to think of mediation. The great reason why our prayers are ineffectual is because we do not meditate before them. So it looks like this what I think when I think about meditation, is I do my Bible study, right? I a prayer, a passage, something comes out when I'm studying God's Word. Then I think about that all day long. For some reason it's there, just a phrase, something comes out of it, I kind of chew on it, I'm thinking about it. As God's captured my thoughts, I'm not thinking always about myself. It's kind of in my head, like that passage kind of got me today, I'm not sure what you're doing, Lord. And then some part in the day I take some time and I try to think even more about it, and then I let that inform my prayer. So we do every week at the church, we, we say the Lord's Prayer together. And then we pray in light of the Word of God in our prayers. So I've consistently, in four years of being here, have tried to show you that God's will and His sovereignty surpasses all of our wants and hopes and dreams. That we will pray huge prayers for healing, for salvation, pray for people's lives to be changed, pray for fires to stop raging, pray for wars to end, pray for peace to fall like a blanket over the entire... We will pray those huge prayers, but if we don't end them with, in your will be done, or God, your will will be done, we're praying unbiblical prayers. That's why the name it and claim it prayers, just pray in the name of Jesus to be healed, walk today, and then they sit there. And so if you're in a name it and claim it church, then you, you're either going to say, well, they must not be a good Christian, or I didn't pray hard enough. I've seen it. I've seen hospital visits where the family member has brought something by, and they've said, we're just going to pray you healed, we're going to pray you out of here, but what if the healing never comes? So you're only left with two options. Either the prayers of the people who are praying aren't strong enough, or you're so full of sin that God hates you. And I, I, do you find that anywhere in here? Read Romans chapter 11, or Roman, Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Heroes. It's very clear. Some will fight back the lion. Some will send enemies fleeing. And some will be cut in two. And they're all found faithful. They're all found faithful. So that's why I've consistently, as a pastor of this church, always tried to make it very clear to all of you that God's glory will be had no matter what circumstances are going on. Some of you will be healed, and some of you won't, and God will still be glorified in the midst. So how do you get to that place? You meditate upon the Word. You think about it in long ways, deep ways. So you guys know that I'm part of a, a men's ministry called Harbor Ministries that um, takes guys to the... It's a two-trip or three-trip kind of session. 
And the first one you take them to is you take them to Estes Park. So we do lots of stuff. We do a Bible study every morning. We do a Lectio Divina, which is you pray through the scripture. And so all these guys, 20-some guys, are in a room together, and someone reads a passage. And you read through it about five times. And then we have guys like, is there a phrase that speaks to you today? There's just one word, a verse, one word that came out of this passage. And so guys will say it out loud. And then usually they write it down. And then we end up, then we take them, uh, after lunch, we take them to Estes Park. We take them to the alluvial fan, where it's this big waterfall. It's amazing. And we take them out and we say, three and a half hours, go pray. And it's real fun to watch people twitch and go, i got to be alone for three hours? What? I have to go pray? Like, I don't know. I've never prayed longer than a meal. Like, what am I supposed to, how am I, what? And you send them out and go, just go. Go spend three and a half hours in prayer. Some guys hug next to the waterfall because the noise helps drown out their own thoughts. And they really need that. Some go on the other side of the, the rocks and it's super quiet. Where all you really hear is the hummingbirds that are buzzing your head and annoying you. And after about an hour, guys seem to kind of calm down. And then they spend a couple hours in prayer. And then that night we come back, we have dinner, and we say, what did, did anybody willing to share maybe God spoke to you? And invariably, we, we don't purposely keep track, they volunteer it. The word that they felt God speaking to them in the morning has carried on through the meditation, has carried on into their prayers, and they're writing in their journal, and guys are just blown away. They're writing stuff down, going, this morning the Lord told me that I needed a rest. And so I took that into this prayer time, and I went out, and I noticed in my life, and as I meditated and reflected upon this, I don't even take my full vacations every year. I don't know how to rest. I can't sit still for any time. This was so hard for me for the first hour to even just sit on a rock for an hour. I should be doing something, doing something with my hands. I should be studying something. What is my problem? And now the second two hours just melted away. So it's clear to me that I need to rest. And so then they'll roll that into a prayer. It's powerful to take time from a Bible study and pray that word back into your life. Or your prayer life just doesn't become a list of things you're wishing from God. I think too many Christians treat God like he's a genie in a bottle. That when it's time for me to pray, I'll rub the lamp, he'll pop out, I'll ask him three things and please go back into the lamp and have no more influence on my life, just grant me my wish. And instead, when you read through the Word, it informs your prayers. So you pray for God to give you that peace that surpasses all understanding. You pray for Him to give you that truth that's going to carry you throughout your day. We've lost the art of meditation as a church, as a people, I think, because we're so busy. How many of you could take a digital detox and leave your smartphone turned off for 24 hours? A few of you can. Just turn it off and leave it. Just I'm not even going to answer that. It's pretty funny when I do that, and then I turn my phone back on, and I get like the flood of text messages and voicemails, and then I respond like, we thought you were ignoring us. Nah, I was just trying to... I try, I, they're usually people that I'm friends with, enough with that I can go, nah, I just care more about God than you. And it's, it, it's tongue-in-cheek, and it's funny. But it's like, nah, I'm just, I disconnected for a while. That's why I love to even just go up to the mountains just to ski. Even though I'm hanging out with the kids and we skied yesterday, nobody, 
nobody can get a hold of you. It's not possible. Like, yes, right? You've seen the Chevy commercial, right? Where the guys are driving around the mountains, they keep jumping out of the car and holding their phones up. And you think, the commercials, you're thinking that it's all about trying to find a place for some reception. And no, they're actually trying to find the place where their phones don't work. Well, we can all do that. There's a power button on our devices. Turn them off. Unplug the TV for a while. Disconnect. It's a pretty powerful time. So meditation is truly Christians guided by the gospel, shaped by the scriptures, and relying on the Holy Spirit and exercised in faith. This looks different for lots of us. There's times when I can just sit alone for a couple hours, have done a Bible study, reflect on a sermon, pray about what's going on in my life, journal. Some of you, that's hard. Like that's, you don't just go into that. So instead, you do it with a fly rod in your hand. And you say, I'm going to go out and fish for three hours. I can't really get my phone out except to take the picture. I'm going to drop my phone in the water and ruin it. And so how about I just not take the picture this one time and just fish for three hours? All you can focus on is, i got to put this line there. And yeah, you get mad when you snag and stuff happens. But spend some, reflect on what the Lord has said to you. How cool would it be if when you're going out to hunt or fish or you, you're about to go do something outdoorsy and you do a little Bible study right before you hit the woods? You're trying not to talk while you're trying to track something. You're trying to be quiet while you're out there. You don't want to, and then just as that just stews in you. Some of you, that would drive you crazy to be out in the woods alone like that. You need noise. So what if before you take a trip to your favorite coffee shop, just to be out, before you go shopping, before you take off and go do an event, or you just do some windshield time, instead of turning the radio on and listening to something, or that audio book, how about you think about a couple passages of God's Word and just kind of stew on that for the 40-minute drive, or 30 if you're me, drive to Cheyenne. Just to stew, just to think upon what God has said and just to not, and let your mind just go. How beautiful would that be? Some people need noise. Like you need loud music to really disconnect. There's even an, I don't know if you know this, there's an app you can put on your phone that gives you coffee shop noises so when you're home alone and it's too quiet, you can get like the coffee shop noise. Things clanging, that would drive me crazy. But some people do that. To just take time to reflect upon the Word. Just to reflect upon the Word. So we see that as something very important in bridging the gap between our Bible study and our prayer life is meditation. For me, it usually involves a trout stream, a mountainside, someplace outside, but I can't always do that. Like I don't know if you know it or not, but in Wyoming it gets cold and windy sometimes. And so you have to find a different position. Um, you have to find a chair that's your favorite chair you can relax in. You need to change your location. Every time you sit on the couch, you fall asleep, or you turn on the TV, it's too close, so go to another room. You find a place to meditate, just to reflect on what God's Word is saying. So I thought we could look at an example of how this is done and done well. So it's always good, I don't know if you realize this or not, to look to Jesus as our example, not as ourselves. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, is taken to the sorry, is taken to the desert and he's tempted. So in chapter three, right after he's baptized, Jesus goes public with his ministry. This is his first public movement in ministry where he's going to start. It begins the time clock of three years to his crucifixion. So he goes and he's baptized by John the Baptist. 
and we hear God say from heaven, this is, my, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And immediately he's taken to the desert to be tempted. Now any son loves to hear from his dad that, that dad's proud. I'm pleased with you, son. There's like this welling of, oh, my, I'm, my dad's proud. Like there's a, and then you're immediately tempted. And I think there'd be a moment of, really, dad? Really? You said you're proud of me and you're going to do this to me? But it gives us an example of what a person who's steeped in the word of God, even though he's God in flesh, how he deals with these kinds of tragedies. So 4.1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Hungrier than you are right now, wishing I would stop preaching. The only thing this town lacks is we don't have a Golden Corral or a Ryan's. That's where all good Christians go on Sunday, is to go gorge themselves on a buffet. You can clearly tell I'm sad by that. But isn't this the truth? Like we use this as an example consistently, that when you come to faith, you go public. Anytime that we baptize someone, we talk about it. You've gone public with your faith. So don't be surprised when temptation comes. Like you've taken a new job, a new position, a new place. Don't be surprised when temptation comes or when persecution comes, because now you've gone public with your faith and the devil hates that. Satan hates that. Now, he can't take your salvation. That's something that can't be lost. But he can kill your joy and destroy your witness. So he can rob you with temptation. He can rob you with all kinds of persecution. He can't steal you from heaven, but he's going to make you ineffective as a witness of the gospel. So you, know, you have to know that's coming as a Christian. Jesus was led out by the Spirit, and he was hungry. There are some people who have done 40-day fasts. I have never attempted that. I've, I've maybe done a three-day fast, um, and that was mostly because I was sick. Um, most of us don't do 40-day fasts, do, do we? We're going to talk about fasting in a few weeks, and it's good and right to fast for a meal if you're focusing on prayer, to fast for a meal, fast for a day, to focus on your meditation with the Lord. But, and those aren't bad things. Those are biblical ideals that we've lost in the church that would be good to bring back. But the 40-day fast, like we know, you know the rule of threes. Three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food. So you're extending that out for at least a week more. So he's physically worn out. He's physically in lots of pain. And that's when Satan comes. And that's when he comes for all of us. When we're at our weakest. Our most grief-filled days, our most persecuted days, our most distraught days, that's when the tempter comes. And that's when he comes to Jesus. But look at how Jesus fights back. We already discussed that. Verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, if, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, first off, um, in Greek, the word if can also be translated as since. Um, most Bibles, I, I typically preach out of the ESV, says if, um, but if you really look at it in Greek, it's okay to say since. I think it's better to say since. Um, Eugene Peterson, the author of the message and a Greek scholar, that's how he translates it. And so I think if, if you look at it this way, since you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. That's Satan giving the authority where it's due to Jesus as God in flesh. Since you're the Son of God, command these. I think it's a more dastardly temptation. It's Satan trying to tempt the Son of God to give up his righteousness. To use his power for something to heal himself, not for the glory of his Father. And so you have Satan saying, since you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And what does Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
So Jesus quotes back to him Deuteronomy 8.3. He gives him back the word of God. Did he have rolls of scripture with him? We don't know that. It's highly unlikely. Typically in a Hebrew culture, especially in this day, those would have been left in the temple. And you would study in the temple and they would be left in the temple. You didn't walk around with like, you know, a trailer full of rolls of scripture. So he had committed this to memory, which we all know good rabbis and, and Hebrew boys would commit the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, would commit it to memory. So he had the Bible, he had the scriptures, the law, that he'd meditated on, memorized. Satan then tempts him again. Then the devil take, took him into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. So Satan quotes scripture back to Jesus. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He quotes back to him out of Deuteronomy again. They're fighting over the very word of God. And because Jesus has meditated and prayed and learned and studied the word of God, he's able to give it right back to Satan. We don't tempt the word of God. We don't tempt him. We don't do these things. This would be like you saying, well, I'm going to climb up to the top of the snowies and I'm going to jump off the cliff, but I read, that, I read Psalm 91, and because God loves me, he'll never let me get hurt. And you're going to get hurt. You don't tempt God. You don't say, well, God loves me. He'll never hurt me when I do this double backflip on this motorcycle. You're going to get hurt. Jesus gives back to him the very word of God. And he says, no, I'm not going to do this. I don't use the power of God. I don't use the word of God for my own benefit or to be a spectacle to people. He ends this way. <clears throat> Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him and only, and him only shall you serve. Quotes back out of Deuteronomy again right around the Shema, that we put nothing before God. That anything you put between you and God is an idol. It's idolatry. We don't put anything between us and God. So if Jesus, God in flesh, 100% man, 100% God, uses the word of God to fight against temptation, why do you think you can do it of your own will? It's kind of a foolish endeavor, isn't it? I don't need the word. I can be strong. I can fight this sin. I can fight this temptation. If God himself in flesh uses the very word of God to fight against those temptations, what makes you think you're better than him? That's kind of arrogant of any of us, isn't it? So how do we fight against sin? Through the very word of God. And it closes. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. He was brought back spiritually. This really doesn't say anything about physical stuff. That angels came and warmed his soul. Just like you have in the end of chapter 3, my son whom I'm well pleased. We don't see any pictures of the Golden Corral buffet showing up for Jesus. We see that his heart was warmed, that he were ministering to him spiritually. You did it, you fought back, you've been faithful, you've been trustworthy, Right? So meditation on the word is also about implanting it in us. That if we had that in us, then we could use the word of God against the tempter. 
John Piper says that we often have to fight sin for sin. Sorry, fight sin with good. Word for word, thought for thought. And so if you're tempted in some way, then it's not that easy just to go, I'm not going to do that. You must fight it with the very word of God or a thought about God. That it's not about repressing the temptation because temptation is always going to come. It's about fighting against the temptation with the very word of God. So to close, meditation bridges the gap between hearing from God and speaking to him. Do you have times of quiet that you can reflect? We all have the opportunity. We all have the time. Some of us just need to turn the radio off in our car. Can you drive in silence for five minutes from 3rd Street to Walmart? No, i got to listen to that latest song. Just calm down. Just turn it off. You did a little bit of Bible study this morning. Just think upon that very word that God gave you from 3rd Street to Walmart. And then later on, that informs your prayers. Maybe you keep a journal. Maybe you have other spiritual disciplines in place. Don't just run from what he's speaking to you. Well, I'm too busy in the morning because I've got to get the kids ready. i got to, right? Okay, I get that. But then can you take a pause, a lunch break? Can you take a small break? Can you do something? When you're eating your lunch, maybe you have a card you put in your lunch box. And you look at it, and then you think about it during the day. <coughs> I know many of people that think about their hobbies all day long. Whether it's hunting season, ski season, vacation season. How much time will we spend planning for a vacation? We're, we spend more time on TripAdvisor than we do in the Bible app on our phone. Like We all have, we can cut some time out. We can figure some things out. And we can take the time to reflect on God's word. So what I wanted to do is give you a couple things to take home with you. Um, a couple years ago, the I think this, I'm pretty sure this came from the Desiring God website. They put out an article called 10 Passages Every Pastor Should Know Cold. Like you should have these memorized and have them ready. Um, that's one of my greatest weaknesses. And I've got a lot of weaknesses. But one of my greatest ones is scripture memory. Um, it's hard for me to just, I mean, I know the concepts, I know the big picture, I know where it's located, but to be able to just recite God's word from the top of my head, it's a, it's a struggle for me. Some of you are great at that. Like my son, like he knows lyrics to songs he's heard one time. Like, you drive me nuts. How do you do that? If I could just put that in my brain, like that would be amazing, but that's not me. Um, and so here's a list of ten scriptures, and I just put them on a piece of paper for you. I mean, you, you have ob- access to the word of God, so you can do this yourself. But here's just, stick them somewhere, have them, stick them in your Bible, put them on a refrigerator, fold it up smaller and put it in a wallet or a purse or whatever. But here's just 10 passages. It's Psalm 23, 1 Corinthians 11. Um, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. It's about communion. Then we have Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Psalm 46. In Galatians, you have the fruits of the Spirit. What's well, actually fruit? Now let me catch that. There aren't multiple fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So you always have people like try to, you can't disengage them from each other. It's one fruit manifested in these, this many ways. There aren't fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit. It's kind of like the book of Revelations. There's no S there. It's the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus. But anyway. Um, and then Colossians, Philippians, Romans 8, 28. I mean, you should just memorize all of Romans 8 anyway. But you got Romans 8, 28 to 39. Numbers and Jude. 
So like this, if you are, I think people struggle with their salvation sometimes. Because we all deal with, okay, I'm a Christian. I believed in the Son of God. I believed in his work on the cross. But yet I still struggle with these temptations, thoughts, and actions. So how can I call myself a Christian if I still struggle with these things? Didn't I lose my salvation? No, you didn't. You're a Christian who is sinning. And so you have, like, how do you, how do you get reaffirmed in that? How do you get, well, here's from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You thought Paul had run-on sentences. Jude has a few. Just some confident. How about um, the call to Aaron, the blessing to Aaron? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace for number six. Like you have some access to some very encouraging passages of Scripture. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, that Jesus is the manifestation of God in flesh. And so there's two handouts on the back as you walk out. One is just the scriptures, and this one is the reasoning why I've given it to you. Just some reasons for it. So, uh, like, this is the word, this is not. This is written by man. And so it just says, like, why would you, why would you want Jude there? Well, these concluding verses from this short little passage by Jesus' half-brother Jude also make for a wonderful doxology and ending a service or speaking a good night blessing or for asking God's blessing on some new ministry endeavor. And so we end with Jude's words as a prayer for any fresh initiatives God is calling us in scripture to, into Scripture memorization. Just some ways to, like, why would I read this one? Why would I study this one? What could they be used for? And I think if you committed to just trying to put God's word in your heart through meditation, just a little bit more than maybe we already do, I think you'd be surprised at how that becomes a comfort to us. If we're called by Scripture to meditate on the Word, then we should probably do it. We should probably do it. If Jesus himself fought against temptation with the Word of God, then why do you think you don't need to do it that way? So your directives, the application for the week. Try your prayer time after your study time. If you have a quiet time devotion, you have a Bible reading plan you're reading through, you have a favorite passage of scripture you're trying to, to look at, if there's one book you've been reading, like right now I'm in the book of Hebrews for my in my year plan, and then last week um, I had preached through Haggai a f- couple years ago, and so I just reread that whole Old Testament letter, I sat down and read it all, and I was like, man, I, I think I preached that wrong, which that happens a lot. Like you go through another piece of scripture, like, oh, I missed something. Ah oh, man, so that's the joy of God's word is you get to do it over again. You get a mulligan every now and then. And so you have some time. So the directive or my challenge to you in application is spend some time in the word and then think about it for an extended period of time during the day, just a passage or a word, and then let that inform your prayer. Because I think what we typically do is we read the scripture, we do our Bible study plan, we close it, and at some point in the day we have our prayer time. That's not a bad thing, but I think we'd be more richly served if we take God's word into our time of prayer. Does that make sense? That we would meditate upon the word. And I think it would it will show, show us as a group 
But when we get quiet and we let God's word speak, it changes us. It changes us. And you don't have to go to the monastery to find it. You can find it in that nice old leather chair that you love to sit in. You can find it with a walk with a dog out in the park. With a fly rod in your hand or a hot cup of, cu- hot cup of coffee at McDonald's. You can find a place to get quiet before the Lord and to reflect on all his goodness and his word and let that inform your time of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had in your word, and I pray that we would meditate upon it. That we would be people that seek your face in your word, and we'd be people that would let that inform our prayer life. That we would have times to really sit and soak in all the goodness of who you are. Help us, Lord, to re-engage with this missing practice in the church of getting quiet and drawing close to you. If that means turning some stuff off or redirecting some of our time, help us to see where we should do that. Because we're going to grow more in love with you the more we spend with you in your word and in prayer. And that we would be an unstoppable force in this community for the light of the gospel because it would inform everything we do. Help us, Lord. Help us to slow down and help us to fall more in love with you. We love you. Amen.